0: All right, good morning, we're glad you're here. So this summer, my family, uh, we took a family reunion to Oregon, to the Oregon area, we flew in and... And uh, we had to get a rental car, of course, and uh, we have six people in our family, so we can't do the cool convertible rental car, so we had to do a minivan, um, but uh, that's okay. Uh, but the minivan we got was really nice. I mean, 2014, ours is 13 years old, so this was definitely a step up, and it had leather seats, which was really cool, and it had seats you could easily move forward, so you can you know get in the back, and it had this remote control where the doors open automatically. And and uh, But the, the coolest thing of all, for my son Joshua at least, was uh, it had a automatic DVD, I mean, a built-in DVD player. And so we would stop at Redbox in Portland, and we'd get, you know, movies. And he thought, my youngest son, Josh, thought that was the coolest thing to have his DVD player in the car. So the week went by. We had a great time. Had to turn the rental car in. And uh, so we're signing the papers and got all our luggage, and we're walking to the terminal. We realized Joshua is not with us. So we turn around, and this is what we saw. So he was... Uh, Actually, at one point, he was like hugging the the vehicle, hugging the van. Uh, He he was crying at that point. He did not want to say goodbye to this car. Now, while most of us don't show our affection for our things in quite that obvious a way, there is a part of us, all of us, that is just like Josh. You know, we, we all have a tendency to want what we don't have, to set our heart on what we don't have. And the result of this is a very significant and destructive force in our lives called Discontentment discontentment is a is like a pirate in our soul I mean it, it plunders us of joy and, and peace and life and instead it sows these seeds of negativity and, and jealousy and greed and, and we are all vulnerable to this I mean whether it 's related to the car we drive or the job we have or our spouse or, or our looks or our age or our cell phone or whatever we tend to focus on what we don 't have rather than being content with what we do have i mean in fact this time of year, I mean, really, the, the commercials on television, they actually, their purpose is to actually create discontentment in our hearts, right, so that we will purchase their product. So in the midst of this pull toward discontentment, we thought it would be helpful and important for all of us to do a teaching series on contentment, how we can grow in contentment. Our focus for this series is a portion of a, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote um, to his protege, Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus. And Ephesus at that time was an economically thriving um, community. People were doing well financially, and, and one would one, one perhaps would think that people who are doing well financially wouldn't have a problem with discontentment but but that's not the case right contentment has nothing to do with how much or how little we have it is all about our hearts and so in chapter 6 of first timothy paul spends quite a bit of time showing us how to cultivate contentment in our lives well today we find ourselves in verses 17 and 18 of first timothy chapter 6 in these two verses paul reveals an incredible and incredibly simple and yet powerful practice that can ignite the freedom and joy of contentment in our hearts. Let me, let, let's look at this, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is God's word. Now, Paul reveals here one of the best ways to unleash contentment in our hearts, and that is through the practice of generosity. He says here, command them to be generous and be willing to share. Generosity is a powerful antidote to the soul virus of discontentment. Now, even though generosity is this amazingly life-giving practice, I mean, it really is, it can easily get hindered in our lives. Due to a few barriers, a few attitudes that can kind of creep in, that often creep in to our hearts. One of these barriers is what I would call the negativity barrier. You know, often when the subject of money comes up, in any context, there is an immediate wall that goes up in our hearts. You know, I don't want to talk about money. (laughs) I mean, let's face it, it is hard to talk about money. Some of Rayleigh and my most intense conversations in 25 years of marriage have had to do with money. Money is hard to talk about and to listen. It's hard to listen to people talk about, which, which creates a huge barrier when it comes to this area of generosity. Why? Because generosity is a learned practice. It is a learned practice. It is not something that comes naturally to us. It is something we have to be taught. I mean think about how parents of young children and I remember when we had young children parents of young children are so concerned that our children learn how to share right we repeatedly tell them it's time to share it's time to share even we set the timer you know after 10 minutes they have to rotate toys and or positions or whatever we are so as parents we are so concerned about this and yet here we are as adults and we don't want to share <laughs> I don't want to share I mean, and I think our Heavenly Father is probably repeatedly saying to us, it's time to share. It's time to share. Because we don't do this naturally. We don't do it naturally. Generosity is a learned practice, Which is why Paul says here to Timothy, who's pastoring this church, he says, command your people, command those who are rich to be generous. He doesn't say, hey, just let this happen. Don't ever talk about it. It, It'll just happen. People always just lean towards generosity naturally. You don't even have to worry about it. No, no, no. That's not what he says. He says, command them. In other words, instruct them, teach them, urge them to do this. We all need to be taught to be generous and to be regularly reminded, regularly reminded of this. We all need it uh, so that we will continue to grow in it, so that we can experience what it means to be free and and whole. Are Are we naturally experiencing the freedom and joy that generosity brings? Well, statistics reveal um, that Christians, on average, give away about 2.4% of their income. This is Christians. 2.4% of their income. And I know, I know we're trying to pay our mortgage, and, and we have kids in college, or we're raising kids, or what. I understand all that, but 2.4%. Now, now get this. During the, during the Great Depression, that average, the average percentage given was 3.3%. The natural trajectory of our hearts is not toward generosity. All of us, including me, need to be regularly challenged to grow in this area. Another barrier that can keep us from growing in generosity is what I call the rich barrier. The rich barrier. In this passage, Paul specifically addresses those who are rich Commanding them to be generous, and most of us most of us hear that, and we think, "Oh great that 's not me, so i don 't have to listen i 'm off the hook i 'm not rich so let 's talk about that for a moment. Are we rich? And how do we measure that? I recently read a, a Gallup poll that asked people that very question. They asked people to define rich. What is rich from your perspective? Most people in this survey, most people defined rich as roughly double the amount they currently made. So people who earned $30,000 a year, when they were asked this question, they said, they defined rich as someone who made $60,000 a year. And people who earned $50,000 a year defined rich as people who, who, who earned double that, $100,000 a year. And those that made $100,000 a year defined rich as those that made $200,000 a year. See, no matter how much money we have or we make, we, we, we will probably never consider ourselves to be rich. So what is rich? Well, if you have an annual income of $20,000 in the United States, you have an annual income of $20,000, you are in the top 11% of the richest people on this planet. If you earn more than $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. And if you make $50,000 a year, Congratulations. You are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. You're in the 1% club. I mean, see, what, what this means is that most all of us here are rich. Most all of us here are rich. By any objective standard, we are rich. Which is sort of a good news, bad news thing, right? <laughs> I mean, good news, you're rich. <laughs> but but with riches come responsibility. We need to learn how to be rich. Because often we're not very good at being rich. We're not. According to Sports Illustrated, an amazing 78% of NFL players, 78% of NFL players find themselves bankrupt or financially stressed within two years of retirement. Two years. Another study of lottery winners revealed that nearly half of them spent their entire winnings within five years. But, but it's not just those people, right? Studies consistently show that the more people earn, the smaller percentage of money they give away. The more we earn, the less percentage we give away. We are not good at being rich. We're not. In his book, How to Be Rich, Pastor Andy Stanley writes this. He says, people who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit they are, in fact, rich. Until you relax into the reality that you are rich, you will never become intentional about being good at or about getting good at it. Instead, and listen very carefully what he says here, instead, you will spend the lion's share of your time and energy trying to cross a finish line that you probably crossed tens of thousands of dollars ago. I mean, that, that, that is so true. For most of us, we don't feel rich, which keeps us chasing this finish line, right? Trying, trying to arrive at some point where we will finally be secure, right? Finally, we'll be sad. We just get there. We'll finally be set financially. We'll finally be rich then, but we never get there because the line just keeps moving. The line just keeps moving. Remember the Gallup pull? It's always twice as much as we make. The line keeps moving. See, what most of us need... In order to help fuel the the level of contentment in our hearts, what most of us need is to move the finish line to where we are currently. So, and just to admit that we're already rich. We, We have more than we need. We have more than we need. We are blessed. Once we admit we're rich, then we can focus on how to be good at being rich, which is what Paul's talking about here we got to admit that we're rich and then we can be learn to be good at it. There's one more barrier to generosity that I want us to look at before we talk about how to grow in generosity and that's what I would call the ownership barrier. The ownership barrier. Who owns our stuff? You see, anyone who is bad at being rich answers this question one way. I own it. It's mine. See, I'm going to spend this how I want to spend it. And so when the topic of generosity comes up in any context, the filter, the, 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 the filter through which this person evaluates this question or this issue is an ownership filter. How much of my money should I give away? And the answer usually ends up being fairly minimal, and it's almost always a struggle. <laughs> almost always a struggle to give. See, when, when we're the owners, generosity is a huge struggle but the Bible offers us a very different perspective. Paul says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice, who provides? God does. Everything we have, Paul says, everything we have is a result of his gracious provision to us. He is the owner, not us. So if God is the owner, what does that make us? Managers, right? We're managing his property. He has entrusted these resources to us, all these resources. He's entrusted these resources to us to use for his glory. Now, he does say in verse 17 that we are given these things to enjoy, and that's so cool. This is not a guilt thing where we're supposed to feel guilty about having these nice things or whatever. No, 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 quite the opposite. God provides so that we can enjoy his provision and so that we can use his provision to bless others, both of those. and the joy then gets multiplied. Not only are we enjoying it, others get the joy. We get the joy. I mean, it's just the joy gets multiplied. But that only happens. That only happens when we get this ownership thing settled. Whose money is it? When we realize God is the owner, we start asking very different questions, right? Rather than assuming that all this is for us, we start asking how can I use these resources that God has entrusted to me to bless others? and to reflect his heart, right? How can I use these resources given to me to bless others? And that changes our whole perspective when we realize it's, it's God's anyway. We, we're just managing his property. So what kind of managers are we? That's the question. Okay, these three barriers, negativity barrier, rich barrier, ownership barrier, they are huge in terms of keeping us from growing in the joy of contentment through generosity. Man, when they're creeping into our hearts, they're huge. They're going to keep us from growing in this. So once we recognize these barriers and and face those, how then can we grow in generosity? How can we be good at being rich? Well, what is so clear is that Paul, what he writes here in verse 18, is that growing in generosity, it requires intentionality. It doesn't just happen. Again, he says, command them to be generous. When when our giving, just just to be honest here, when our giving is only spontaneous, you know what I mean? But what I I mean by that, it's just spur of the moment, oh no, here comes the offering, let's see what I got in my wallet or a purse or whatever. When our giving is, or or here's a need, I'm going to just write a quick check. When our giving is only spontaneous, we are missing, we we are missing out on the incredible joy of growing in generosity. You can never grow in generosity just when, when you're giving is only spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment stuff. To be good at being rich involves being intentional about our giving. Now, the cool thing is God has given us two very specific tools to help us grow in our generosity, the tithe and the offering. So let's look first at the tithe. The word tithe in the Bible literally means 10%. That's what the word means. It is 10% of our income given to the Lord. Now, I know sometimes people use tithes to talk about giving in general, or or some people will say, oh, the tithe doesn't really mean 10%. They don't don't know what they're talking about. Uh, The word literally means 10%. It's an actual percentage, 10% of our income. That's what the word means. So in Leviticus 27, verse 30, we read, A tithe... 10%. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It's his. See, the tithe belongs to God and is to be given to him. Now, this isn't, some people say, oh, that's just an obscure Old Testament law or whatever. This is tithing is not an obscure Old Testament law. In fact, in Genesis 14, Abraham actually tithed 10% before the law was even given to Moses. <laughs> he was tithing before the law was even given. And then in, in Matthew 23, Jesus, in, in the New Testament, Jesus actually affirms the practice of tithing in Matthew 23, 23. It is a biblical tool. It's a it's one tool, but it's a biblical tool to help us grow in generosity. And here's what I love about it. Here's why it is such a powerful tool. Tithing is a tangible way to put God first in our lives, in our finances. Because when we tithe, we are saying to God, you know what, you come first in my finances before my house payment, before my car payment, before my student loan, before anything else. The first 10% of my income is yours before anything else. And that's powerful. Tithing is a powerful way to declare that God comes first in your life. I mean, it's one thing to say God comes first, and we all probably say, oh yeah, God comes first. Right? It's another thing to actually do that in an area that's so important to us, like our money. That's what makes tithing so powerful. We're giving God our first and our best. See, another biblical um, word for this that came a little bit later in the Old Testament is the word first fruits. But it's very similar to tithing. See, as we saw a moment ago, in Leviticus, people would tithe. They didn't have cash. They would tithe from their crops, from their livestock. 10%. They just knew 10% belonged to the Lord. It was, it was his. But what they would do, they would get a little sneaky. right? This is human nature creeping in. They would say, okay, 10% is God's. And so, but they would look at their sheep, their livestock or their crops, and they would look for the scrawniest sheep. Right? Or they would look for the bruised fruit or the smaller fruit. And they'd say, technically it's 10%. But I'm gonna give God, you know, kind of the 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 weaker, the smaller. In other words, they were giving God left their leftovers. And it was an insult to him. I mean, imagine if Taylor Swift or Brad Pitt or Peyton Manning came to your house. Would you serve them yesterday's casserole? Probably not. Most of us wouldn't, okay? Um, we, we, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give them leftovers. We would bring out the best as a way to honor them. A, a lot of times, our giving is last on our list. We pay all of our bills. We buy what we want, right, and what we need and all that stuff. And then at the end of the month, if we have anything left, we give that to God. Leftovers. See, what's so cool about tithing is that it's a tangible way to put God first. I heard one one, one person describe it this way. To tithe is to give God our first and best and then to trust him to bless the rest. See, that's that's the other part of of tithing that makes it so powerful. It is an incredible demonstration of faith. I mean, some of us here, some of us here are thinking 10%. I mean, are you kidding me? We're barely making it month to month on what we make now. How is this gonna work to give 10% to God? You know what? That's exactly where God wants you and me. That's exactly where he wants us. How is this gonna work? But I have to trust God on this thing. I mean, how is this going to work? That's exactly where He wants us. Tithing forces us to place our trust in God to provide. And He does provide. In fact, He promises. One of the most amazing promises in Scripture relates to to the tithe. Look at this, this this passage in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. God is talking to His people about how they're robbing Him. And they're kind of offended, you can tell, right? How are we robbing you? What do you mean we're robbing you? And this is his answer. How are we robbing you? This is his answer. In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. See, we said before, the tithe belongs to the Lord. So when we're not tithing, guess what? We're keeping something that belongs to him. You're robbing me. That's the language God uses. You're robbing me. So you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And here's the answer. Bring the whole tithe... Into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, this is amazing, the the promise that God is throwing down here. It is amazing. This is the only place in the entire Bible where we are actually encouraged to test God. The only place in the whole Bible where we're encouraged by God to put him to a test. That's what he's saying here. Test me in this. Bring the whole tithe, the whole 10%. Bring it and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and bless you. It is an amazing promise, but notice the order, because we forget this a lot of times. Notice the order. He doesn't say, wait until I bless you, right? Wait until you have enough and can easily give me 10%. No, 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 that's not what he says. He says, you go first. You go first. You step out in faith and give 10% to me and then just watch me work. I've had people tell me incredible stories. Some of you may have stories like this, where the day they decided to tithe, it didn't make sense, even though it didn't make sense on paper, how ends were going to meet and budget and all that stuff, they just decided, we're going to do this. We're going to give God 10%. We believe this is what he's calling us to do. We're going to give God 10%. And how that same day, later that day, they get a a, a check in the mail from unexpected source or a, a bonus at work or a raise or whatever. Now, that doesn't always happen. This isn't a formula, but that kind of thing happens a lot. It happens a lot. God takes this promise seriously. Test me. He says, go ahead and test me. Start tithing 10% to me and watch me bless you. It's hard to explain. Seriously, your accountant will not understand this, okay? It does not make sense from an accounting perspective. But somehow, God takes that 90% that's left And he blesses it so that it provides what we need. Somehow he does that. Again, tithing is such a cool way to grow in our faith and to put God first. Before anything else, we give to him first, right off the top, trusting him to provide. 10% belongs to him. It's just non-negotiable. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, 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 but you don't know my situation. (laughs) You know, there is no way this would work. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, you know. We we barely make enough to make ends meet. There is no way we could give 10%. I hear you. But always, when I hear that, it always reminds me of a story, one of my favorite stories about this. I heard years ago, there was a woman um, married, um, her and her husband had four young children, and the husband decided to leave her. Left her with the four kids. Financially, they were in debt and, and no income, all that stuff. He didn't help at all. So just left her in this mess. So somehow they, they get out of this thing, right? So later on, all of the kids are grown now and, uh, at this point, and, and And one of the daughters was just sitting, an adult daughter, was sitting down with her mom. And, and they were reminiscing about the past. And, and the daughter said, you know, Mom, when, when Dad left us, how did, we, how did we get out of that? You know, I mean, he left us, you in a financial mess, a single mom, four kids. How did we get out of that? And her mom looked at her and said, we tithed our way out. We tithed our way out. In other words, we put God first. We continued to put God first, and he made a way. This is so counterintuitive, but it is so important. Listen very carefully. Think, think about this. How do we usually get into financial difficulties in the first place? By putting ourselves first, right? <laughs> That's usually how we get into financial difficulties. It's by putting ourselves first. Why not try putting God first? Even in the midst of our difficulties, why not try putting him first to see what, and see what happens? Again, God's the one who's urging us to test him in this. This isn't, just, this isn't me talking. God's the one saying, do it. Test me. To, God says, try it. See if I'm, I'm not going to come through for you. I will come through for you. So what this involves is a decision to do this. We make a decision to put God first in this way. It's just a decision, non-negotiable decision. Now, many people find that online giving technology helps in this regard. Online giving helps because it's not about emotions and whether I feel like writing that check or whatever. It just, we just set it up. We set it up through the website. You pick the day of the month or whatever, first day of the month or whatever, and you know 10%, you know, the amount is automatically going go, um, to go to, to, the, to the church, no matter what you're feeling or whatever. And so you can set that if up you're, if you're interested in that, just a tangible way, kind of a little help to put God first. If you're interested in that um, and doing that before any other payment or whatever, um, you can find more information about that on our website. So online giving can be a help. Now, one of the really cool thing about the tithe... And one of the the genius things of the tithe is the, the, the way God uses it to accomplish his purposes. See, in Malachi 3, we just read God said, bring the whole tithe. And did you notice what he said? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, what is my house referring to? Well, it's pretty consistent in Scripture that this phrase refers to the church. The church is God's storehouse, right? So think about that. What what is a community storehouse for? Well, people people bring food. They store food and necessity items so that when tragedy or or difficulty or famine hits, anyone can go to the storehouse and get what they need. That's exactly what the church is to be, right? It is God's storehouse of spiritual resources in a community. All of us here, all of us here receive spiritual benefit from this storehouse. We we do. We receive spiritual benefit. We have spiritual needs that are regularly met for ourselves, and our children, our, our families, our friends. And, and here's the genius of God's plan. When, as He says, when everyone brings the whole tithe into the storehouse, suddenly the church can provide amazing impact in people's lives. And in our including our lives. I mean, see, think about this practically speaking. If Christians, as I mentioned earlier, if, if just for non-math people, hang with me here, but, but you math people are going to get this. If Christians give on average 2.4% of their income away, what would happen if every Christian simply tithed to their local church? Think about that. What if everyone who receives spiritual benefit here at Christ Community what if everyone who, in other words, everyone who calls this their church home, what if everyone here simply chose to tithe to this storehouse? Can you imagine the impact? We have never operated at that level. I mean, statistics, are real. I don't think we've ever even operated at that level. Can you imagine? Not only in terms of needs being met within this body, it would be unbelievable in terms of the ministry we as a church could offer this community. And all of this is from this amazing thing called the tithe. God is a genius. The tithe helps us put him first. It helps us grow our faith. And it enables us to be a part of his plan to bless others through the church. It's amazing. It's amazing. Now, before we think that the tithe is God's entire generosity plan, let's not forget about the second amazing tool that God gives us to grow in this, and that is the offering. In Malachi 3, God says that they're robbing him in tithes and offerings. So what is the offering, and how is it different than the tithe? See, the offering, this is so cool, the offering enables us to grow in spirit-led giving. You see, the tithe is a decision we make. Ten percent. Sometimes it's a hard decision. Often it's a hard decision. Oh, we can do this, but, we're, you know, just, just, but it's a decision. We're going to do this. Ten percent to the storehouse. Huge impact. Tithe is a decision. But there are other times. There are times when we encounter other opportunities, like our gospel unleashed journey here. Christ community or our hope givers catalog which we've been talking about or maybe we see other needs maybe other organizations that are doing good work or maybe friends of ours that are that are going on a mission trip or maybe they're 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 serving with navigators on a campus somewhere whatever or maybe it's a neighbor who just lost their job so what do we do when we see needs like this when their needs like this are presented before us we pray we pray We ask the Holy Spirit if or how he would want us to give financially to this opportunity or to this person. See, that's an offering. That's an offering. It is a spirit-led response to give beyond what we have committed to give to the storehouse. See, in other words, the offering is what we do with the other 90%. That's God's too, right? What's so cool about the offering is that it's something we ask God about which is what good managers do. We ask the owner, God, what do you want me to give to this need? Do you want me to give this opportunity? If so, how much? Sometimes he says, yeah, I want you to give to that. And he gives the amount. Sometimes he says no. Which is great, right? It's all his anyway. And we're just asking him for direction on what to do with the other 90%. Now here's, here's how the tithe and the offering fit together. For some of... For some of um, from some of us here who are new to, kind of new to all this, or, or maybe you've gotten out of the generosity habit, the tithe is a great starting place. It is a great starting place. It is a huge step. So if you are in that place where you're making that commitment to tithe, maybe it's, you know, you haven't for a while and you're like, we need to do that again. Or maybe it's the first time you've even heard this and, and you're whatever. If you're in that place where you're making a commitment to tithe, that is awesome. I mean, way to go. God is so honored by that. However, for others here, let's be honest, tithing 10% after a while isn't that big of a deal for some of us here. We don't really even feel it. And that's the reason God didn't cap it at 10%. He he didn't cap it and say, you know, it was just 10%, wherever you are, whatever your stage in life and all that. No, 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 he didn't do that. The offering enables us to keep growing in our generosity. For Raylene and I, you know, things like Gospel Unleashed, and supporting other missionaries, and helping people in need, these have added to our adventure of giving. They are things we've prayed about, and we feel we've feel we felt led by God, the Spirit to, to do, um, beyond our commitment to tithe to this church. Sometimes it stretches us to obey <laughs> what God says. Like, really? We're supposed to give that? Sometimes it stretches us, but that's good. We want to be continually stretched in this area. You know, I know of people who make it their goal every year to give a greater percentage of their income to the Lord than the year before. So next year it's eleven percent. And then it's gonna be twelve percent. Then it's gonna be thirteen percent. See, they know the knowing the power of generosity, they don't want to stop growing in it. So the offering becomes this perfect tool to keep growing in this over a lifetime, to keep our hearts expanding. A great example of this is R.G. Letourneau. I've mentioned him before, but he invented uh, earth-moving machines, and, and uh, God blessed his business in amazing ways. And the more God blessed, he just kept giving. You know, The, the, the more he had, the more he gave. And so eventually um, his business kept growing, and eventually he, he was giving 90% of his income away and living on 10% of his income. And he had this great motto. He used to say, I shovel it out, and God shovels it back, and God has a bigger shovel. I mean, that, that was his experience. I mean, th- th- that is one powerful lesson to learn. God has a really big shovel, it's way bigger than our tithes and offerings. I mean, seriously, it is way bigger <laughs> than our tithes and offerings. You cannot outgive God. You can't outgive God. And here's the reason it's his heart. His heart is so much bigger than we can imagine. For for God, this giving stuff is not about rules and and obligation and ought tos. No, 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 it's about love. I mean, mean, why, why do we give in the first place? It's because God gave to us his first and best, his son Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave this is all about love if we miss that folks listen very carefully if we miss this we miss everything giving then becomes this way to impress God or this obligatory thing we 're supposed to do you know forget that if we 're trying to earn you know if we 're giving to try and earn brownie points with God or if we 're giving reluctantly you know or some legalistic requirement please 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 keep your money just keep it Giving is to be a response of love from a heart that has been deeply touched by God's generous gift to us in Jesus. That's why we would want to grow in generosity. That's why. It's his love that moves us to take these challenging and difficult steps of faith in terms of tithes and, and offerings. It's all a response to his incredible love given to us in Christ. So, let me, let me just ask, what is this amazing love calling you and me to do as it relates to generosity? What is this amazing love calling you and me to do as it relates to generosity? Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, uh, um, we welcome you, and we know you've been speaking to our hearts, so we just want to take a moment just in the, and be quiet, and let's just ask this question again. What is this amazing love calling me to do in response to this message as it relates to generosity? For some of us here, it's, it's maybe just kind of looking honestly at some of the barriers we've had. The wall that goes up whenever money's discussed anywhere. And we've got to realize, you know what? If we don't hear about money, if we're not taught about money, we're not going to grow in generosity. None of us grow automatically in generosity on our own. Let's just admit it. We don't. So maybe it's just admitting that to the Lord. And removing that barrier and saying, Lord, I need to be taught. My heart has not been open." and I want it to be open. And Father, there may be others of us here this whole rich barrier we've always we just have in our mind the finish line. Yes, yeah, just twice as much as we make. That's when we'll be sad. And and Lord, I believe you're wanting us to move that finish line right where we are. Saying, "Okay, let's just admit it. Compared to the world, we are rich. Let's just move that finish line. We have more than we need. We are blessed." So Lord, help us be Help us grow in being good at being rich. And for others, maybe it's the ownership barrier. And Lord, we just admit that, how often we, we tend to think we're the owners. We worked hard for this, this is ours. And, and yet, Scripture over and over again says, you're the one that richly provides. And we need to remember, help us remember, we're managers. We're managers of your property. Help us understand that. And, and to respond out of that and to grow, to be good managers. And so I pray, Lord, right now, I pray just for an intentionality in our hearts, conversations that need to be had or looking at budget, whatever it happens to be, Lord, that we would, we would respond. Maybe for some of us here, it's just the tithe, this whole idea. And, and for some of us like, oh, man, it's gonna be such a step of faith. faith. That's awesome. I wanna pray for those people, Lord, who are saying, yeah, we're gonna do this. Even though it doesn't make sense i people, we're gonna do this. I pray for them to grow. In their faith and, and the joy of knowing they are putting you first before any other bill, before any other payment, they're putting you first in that way. Man, thank you for that, Lord. And we pray, we pray for them to grow in their faith. And I thank you, Lord, for the impact they could have on this church in terms of the things we could be doing in terms of impacting this community, Lord, and impacting people here, Lord. I just thank you for that. It's awesome, this tool. Thank you for this tool, God. And Lord, there are others of us here that we're the offering. Or maybe you're stirring our heart in an offering and maybe we've done the tithe thing, but it's this whole idea of offering, this other 90%. And, and maybe we have struggled to even go to you and ask you, what do you want us to do? Because maybe we're afraid of what you're gonna say. But oh man, there is so much life that's found in obedience when we go to you and say, just speak to us. So I pray for that. I pray for all of us here to grow, for some that it's the offering, just help us grow, to never become stuck at a particular place, but to keep growing and being challenged in this as we say, Lord, show us. Show us how you would wanna respond to this opportunity, to this need, and our lives would be lived with open hands like that. So Lord, whatever tool it is you're, you're stirring in each of our hearts, I pray you would help us embrace it and grow in generosity as a result and ultimately just to grow in contentment. This, this place of incredible joy and contentment in, in who you are and the blessing you are. That, that's ultimately the heart of all this giving stuff. It's you, Jesus. You Gave your life for us on the cross, you gave your first and best for us we We want to be generous like you. We want to respond to your love by having open and generous hearts and so thank you for your incredible generosity towards us. Well we have an opportunity this morning to Um, partake together in a a tangible experience of his generosity towards us through the Lord's Supper. The way this is going to work, you don't have to be a member here to partake. If you um, have placed your trust in Jesus, then we encourage you to partake. And the way this is going to work, ushers, if you want to get the trays and kind of head forward, don't pass the elements out yet, but if you can kind of, you want to start moving forward and getting that stuff ready, that would be great. Just a moment. Um, I'm going to pray, but before that, I want to give logistics here. The, the offering tray will be passed. Excuse me, not the offering. The, the, uh, um, the, the Lord's Supper, the trays will be passed. A tray will come by, and, they, and each, each hole will have two cups stacked on top of each other. And we encourage you, when it comes to you, just take t- both of those cups. Take them out. One will have the bread, and one will have the juice. And if you would hold on to that, we're going to sing. and be led in a song together by the worship team just while we hold on to that. And then I'll come back up. And, um, and lead us in, in partaking of the Lord's Supper. So let, let's pray as we prepare our heart for this. And I want to just, um, I want to give an invitation here. There may be some of you here. And the reason that you are here this morning, maybe someone brought you or whatever, the reason you're here is because God wants a relationship with you. And a lot of times we get this wrong. We, we think that having a relationship with God is about just keeping our nose clean and trying to go to church and you know maybe doing some good things. That's not it at all. I mean, if that's what having a relationship with God was, was about, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. See, the reality is we can't get to God on our own because we're sinners. We're separated from him because of our sin. It's not a, we, we can't clean up our lives and all this stuff to try to get him to accept us. It doesn't work that way. But this is the amazing part of God's generosity. He saw that we couldn't come to him, so he came to us. He sent his son, his first and best. He sent his son, Jesus, to earth to live a perfect life and then to die on a cross for you and me. He took the penalty we should have paid. That's why he died on the cross. It's a gift to us. And what Jesus says is, hey, if you want a relationship with me, I'm not going to force my way in, but if you want a relationship with me, all you got to do is just open the door of your heart. Just admit you need me and place your trust in my provision for you. That's it. And that decision will change your life because he'll come to live inside of you. So maybe there's some of you here, and, and you're like, man, that, that's what I want. I want a relationship with God through Christ. It's not dependent upon my effort, it's dependent upon his work. So if that's what you want, and you want to make sure you have that. I want to lead you on a prayer right now where you can open that door of your heart to Him. Just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm separated from you because of my sin. And there is nothing I can do. No matter how often I go to church, how many good deeds I do, and how much giving I do, and all that stuff, none of that matters. There's nothing I can do to get to you, which is why you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to die. And I choose right now, I choose to place my whole self, my trust, my failures, my faults, my sin, all of me, my shame, my questions and doubts, I bring it all to you, Jesus, and I place it on you. And I now receive your life. I open my heart to you. Holy Spirit, come live in me. Forgive my sins, past, present, future. Wash me clean change me now from the inside out through the power of your love. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, they would grow in this new relationship with you. Help them grow in that, Lord. And I pray for all of us here who know you, we would all grow. In our relationship with you and just remembering today that it's not about what we do, it's not about what, what we give, it's not about the good deeds we do, it, it's not about any of that it's all about Jesus and what you have done for us on the cross giving your all for us so we thank you for the, the blood you shed alright ushers if you would get distributing the elements that become.